Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. Well what a week it's been under normal circumstances with the Premier League kicking off and the return of crowds to stadiums the show would be wall to wall EPL but when there's a World Cup bid announced and the player considered by some to be the greatest of all time shifts from the club which made him a superstar then those stories demand top billing. So to get us started one of the world's leading experts on Barcelona and the author of the just-released book Barca, the inside story of the world's greatest football club, Simon Cooper, joins us to discuss the departure of Lionel Messi from Camp Nou to the new Galacticos at PSG. We'll then talk to the Australian newspaper's John Stensholt about the story he broke this week that Football Australia are preparing a bid for the Men's World Cup. We'll also ask John's views on what 10 and Paramount Plus need to do to win the hearts and minds of Australian sports fans and fulfil their ambitious plans to place the world game in its rightful position alongside the domestic codes and we'll wrap up the hour talking with the new manager of one of the club's new broadcasters and we'll wrap up the hour talking with the new manager of one of the clubs the new broadcaster will be showcasing former mariner and now head coach at the central coast mariners nick montgomery tasked with continuing the rebuild of the league's smallest but pound for pound one of most successful clubs in the second hour willem will kick off with second adieus Second edition news, then we'll get stuck right into the EPL. First up with Greg Evans from The Athletic to talk us through the impact of the departure of Jack Grealish from Aston Villa and the impact of his arrival at Manchester City. Derek and Dino will dive into the other big name comings and goings as we preview the start of the English top flight and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Edge, like just when you think you've had a massive week, we've had Olympics, we've had Euros. Well, mate, how could you stuff more into this one? Yeah, I mean, it's just the world game, isn't it, Rob? Good to see you. I hope you're well. Um, really excited about talking to John Stinshold about whether that's a 2030 or 2034 World Cup bid for the state governments in Football Australia. There's a lot of questions. We'll unpack all of that. And But on the negative side, Football Australia and the Ollie Roos, Willem, there's a bit of a story going around there that they have kept all of the disturbance in-house. What can you tell us about that? Football Australia, Michael, has sanctioned the Ollie Roos involved in what they've deemed unacceptable behaviour on a flight that returned from the Olympics to Sydney, but as you, as you mentioned, has kept the punishments in-house. Japan Air did not launch a formal complaint with the AOC over the incidents on the July 30 flight. They were a, a separate incident as well, including the uh, the Rugby Australia, the Rugby Sevens team. Rugby Australia handed out 13 formal warnings to their players. Football Australia has apologised to Japan Air and the AOC, but James Johnson has stated the names and details would remain private out of duty of care to the players. Another disappointing one here, Michael, football in this country has a pretty proud record of uh, behaviour and, and behaviour not sort of in keeping with what we see in a couple of the other football codes but the last two scandals or, or disappointing uh, incidents if you like has involved this group of Australian under 23 players so maybe uh, one to look in the mirror over. Moving on to the big story of the week, Football Australia has held talks with state based events officials about preparing a bid for the 2030 or 34 Men's World Cup. James Johnson has told the Australian football is hoping to continue the global trend of nations pairing major events and host the World Cup either side of the 2032 Olympics Bids for the 2030 World Cup will be officially launched mid next year with a decision made in uh, 2024, although FIFA's World Cup calendar means the 2034 event is more likely. Rob, $46 million of taxpayers' money was plunged into the disastrous 
2010 bid for the 2022 World Cup. In your opinion, do you think enough water has passed over the bridge for the government and the people to get on board again? Yeah, 100%, I do. I think uh, FIFA is an entirely different place these days than it was under Sepp Blatter's uh, dirty regime when we uh, walked in naive and we got uh, exactly what they'd planned for us. We were just a, um, a bunny um, on that occasion and, uh, and we never stood a chance. On this occasion, FIFA, you know, we have to believe, has been cleaned out and that uh, this new bid off the back of uh, the Women's World Cup in a couple of years' time off the Olympics in 2032 will be the bookend to uh, a really successful phase. I mean, if we look at a, at all of the issues around security internationally um, and also, obviously, the COVID scenario, which we would fully expect to have played out, you know, over the course of the next uh, five to ten years, that Australia is one of the safe havens for an event like this. I know we're going to talk about is there a co-host country in the same way as the Women's World Cup, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, plenty of water's passed under the bridge and, um, and I think we should be really excited about this. And, Michael, with 48 teams in the World Cup now, we are well and truly into the era of joint bids. We are hosting one ourselves with New Zealand in the women's game. Already for the 2030 World Cup, so the nearest one, there's a North African group bid, there's an Iberian bid, Spain and Portugal, there's uh, four countries in Southern Europe, there's a South American uh, group, and then for 2034, uh, where we're more likely to bid, you'd suspect, China, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam have all put their hands up already. So there'll be no shortage of suitors, but I suppose the bottom line is we're going to have to find one. We certainly are going to have to find one, and uh, we'll unpack all of that with John Stinch in a moment, Willem. Lionel Messi has joined PSG on a two-year deal with an option for a third worth £53.8 million a season. Messi bid a tearful farewell to Barcelona this week after his offer of a 50% pay cut still proved unworkable and will wear the number he first wore at Barca, number 30, at PSG. Although a free agent, PSG have paid Messi a signing-on fee of €30 million. Rob, we saw two pics of the boy who cried wolf this week, <laughs> crying as he left Barcelona and then grinning like Gigi a split watermelon in Paris. What did you make of it all? Exactly. I couldn't help but think of that image as he was crying at the press conference. Willem, I'm glad you brought it up. This was not a setup. Anyone who listens to this you know, show, show knows that I've referred to him as the boy who cried wolf. Well, it turns out ultimately there was a wolf and it was called PSG. In fact, it was probably called La Liga who called Barcelona out and said, no, 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 Lionel, you're not staying. Barcelona, you have to get your house in order. You're a train wreck of a financial financial situation right now. You're borderline bankrupt. If we don't face the music now and say goodbye to Lionel Messi, then you might not have a club for anyone to play it. Would you agree with that? Well, that's the Barca story, but what about the PSG story? Absolutely fantastic. He's going to join his mate Neymar. Um, My mate... Killian Mbappe. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, what a front three they all. But don't forget, you've got uh, Dianguel as well from Argentina mm-hmm. about to lob at the joint. You've got Pochettino pulling the strings. I'll tell you what, PSG, look out, Manchester what City. Kind of pressure the boys Poch- from Paris are coming. What kind of po- pressure is Maurizio Pochettino under? Um, if he can't get a tune mm-hmm. out of this mob, remember that they didn't win league on, in the last season and uh, they uh, got knocked out in the semi-final stages of the Champions League. So, you know, there's a heap of pressure on them and, uh, you know, just beating up on the lower league teams in the competition is not going to do it. They've got to win the whole it's a fabulous club match and, and, the uh, and I think it breathes a new um, spirit of uh, excitement in yeah, the Champions League. Yeah, I don't league. think so. I think it just, uh, it just, it just oh, makes another Galacticos, mate. Over, I'm mate. Not, um, not happy Grumpy with that. And back home for a final one from me, guys. There was no football played in Australia on Wednesday night, or not of a significant nature anyway, but it was still quite an important juncture. The new broadcast era commenced with the launch of Paramount+. Plus. But did they slip at the first hurdle, Michael? Many fans, including myself, who'd purchased subscriptions along with A-League memberships, weren't delivered the promised access codes on time, leading to uh, 
online consternation as only Australian soccer Twitter can do. The scheduled FFA Cup clash of that night was postponed anyway, so it was gonna, you know it was going to be on ten play. So maybe they avoided a bit of an issue anyway. Not a major issue yet, but confusing. Yeah, we just sorted out. Right? I remember when Op- Where are the codes? I remember when Optus launched and uh, they yeah. had a bit of a nightmare in the first couple of weeks of the Premier oh, League. Oh, you were in launched. Russia during the World Cup, mate. That was a... Um, that was a that was a complete blow-up, wasn't it? But yeah. um, uh, they will uh, get their house in order. Looking forward to talking to John Stinshot about Paramount Plus 2 and just to see what they can do for football in Australia. All right, well, we'll talk to John. Well done, Willem. Before we do that, we're going to talk Paris. to Simon Cooper from PSG. the Financial Times. A very excitable Michael Edgeley there. He's going to be buying his PSG shirt by the sound of it. All that enthusiasm and clapping. Uh, Simon Cooper wrote the story um, of Barca and uh, he knows all of the insides of what's going on there. Stick around because Simon Cooper is after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is box to box. It's going to be a very busy show this week. We're hoping to cover it all for you. The uh, story, though, off the top is the departure of Lionel Messi from the Camp Nou. He is a Barcelona man through and through, but now he's a PSG man, and the man who's written the book. All about Barcelona is uh, Simon Cooper, and he joins us on the line from Paris. How are you, Simon? Good to speak to you. Hi. You were given unprecedented access uh, to Barcelona before this story came out. You were uh, you, you'd, you'd closed the book, so to speak, literally on on your book, the inside story of the world's greatest club. Uh, but uh, as I read the extract that was published in the Times, it, it was clear that that what you were seeing was a club that was not quite right, with the massive debt hanging over its head. Um, as you were writing the story, did, did you sense that this was imminent, or was it just too unreal to think that this could happen? I mean, I began researching, writing, hanging around Barcelona early 2019, and I could see that there were sort of cracks in the ceiling. But, you know, it looked surmountable. So if you go back to April 2019, they beat Liverpool 3-0, first leg of the Champions League semi. Most people would have said, well, they're going to go on and win the Champions League. They won the Spanish League. Looked pretty good, didn't it? And then they go to Anfield, lose 4-0. And, you know, in the next couple of months, it becomes clear to me this club is in free fall. They have bought all the wrong players. Salaries have got out of control. The next, you have this old team which can't run anymore. They lose 8-2 to Bayern. So when I started the book, I thought I'm telling the story of their greatness. And it's a story about human genius. And it is all that. But it's also ended up being the story of the decline and fall. So that sort of happened to me as I was writing. The unreality of, of this scenario goes to the, the, the fact that Lionel Messi obviously joined as, as a, a teenager. He, uh, he's won 35 trophies, six Ballon d'Ors, of course, as we all know. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I used the term the boy who cried wolf to describe him because we'd heard so many times that he was going to leave Barcelona. And, and, and I personally represented that group of pundits and fans uh, who, who just didn't believe that it was ever going to happen. But as I read your story in the breakdown, down of uh, of the financial scenario, it's just clear that uh, that uh, Jorge um, uh, Leo's father had constructed a deal in such a way that uh, incrementally he was always going to be paid uh, vast amounts more, and that dragged the pay rates of his his fellow players up. So this this out of control uh, situation uh, had to have a day of reckoning, and, and it's finally come. Jorge Messi just bled the club dry. And I think it's him rather than the son, because in a, in a soccer family like that, 
the player is told, you just play, we'll do the rest, that we the family will handle everything else. And Jorge Messi thought he was a brilliant businessman and he kept going to Barcelona and saying, you know, my son might leave this summer, every summer, if you don't pay him more. So one official told me between 2014 and 2020, Leo's salary trebled. And by the end, he was earning 125 million euros a year, which is more than double the salary of anyone else in, in world football. So it was just insane. And when he got a raise, all the other players wanted a raise. So, yeah, that was a big part of the financial collapse. And yet it was a surprise what happened last week, not just to you and to me, but also to Messi himself. When Messi woke up on Thursday morning, August 5th, he thought, you know, I'm going to sign a new contract, half the pay, no problem stay here the rest of my serious career. And it's later that day that Juan Laporta, the president, finally admits to Messi's representatives, actually, there's no way we can sign him. doesn't really matter if you harp or even, you know, take off 90% of the salary. We can't sign anyone. We can't even register the free agents like Memphis and Aguero that we brought. We bought. That's when Messi realises the building has collapsed. This is Box to Box. We uh, talked to Simon Cooper from the Financial Times, author of the just-published book, Barca, the inside story of the world's greatest football club, a book that we would have read anyway, but has all the more resonance because of the, uh, the departure of, well, the player some call the greatest of all time. Simon, you've talked about um, Leo's father and uh, the, the role that he had in, in, in jacking up uh, uh, the return that Messi was getting year on year, but what can you tell us about Leo Messi the person. I guess this story is so big uh, for our listeners in Australia who who know Messi through the eyes of Argentina and the World Cup and the and the weight he carries uh, of those big tournaments. Um, and and but but what is Leo Messi like uh, within the the soccer family that is a a professional football team? What can you tell us about his personality, his mentality, and and how much he's loved? Well, this is another thing that surprised me as I was researching the book because I went in thinking as I think a lot of people thought he doesn't really have much of a personality he just plays football he can't really really talk he doesn't have a life outside the field and I came away thinking he is by far the most powerful man inside the club everyone is afraid of him Barcelona for 15 years now have been following a messy strategy of let's keep Messi happy so for example Messi doesn't like having Abramovich centre forward. Abramovich is out, no matter how much they pay for him. Messi wants Tata Martino or Villanova as head coach. They become head coach. So the whole club is structured around him. Um, the other players all realise, even though you're talking about some of the best players in the world, he's just a lot better at football. And in the hierarchy of a football club, that's what counts. So inside the club and in football, he's quite a fearsome figure. You know, he, He'll have fights with teammates at Argentina when they can't get him the ball referees know him as a whiner he's always always talking to them and off the field he has this very quiet simple life i, I drove past his house in castel de Fels, a really quiet small town near barcelona he doesn't even near, live near the beach he lives at the top of a hill he's kind of welded two mansions together it doesn't look like you know the most spectacular house in the world it's more like a sort of californian millionaire's house in a quiet suburb and he has this little football field there he plays with his sons he, he sort of commu- he's like a commuter. He commuted from Castel de Fels to Barcelona for 10 plus years. You know, he'd score a hat trick in the company and then commute back home on the anti highway back to the wife and the three kids. And I think one reason he wanted to stay this summer is when he told them last year, look, I want to leave. We're going to go to a club abroad. The wife and the sons burst out crying because their life really works for them. 
And he was quite shocked that they, they were so upset at the thought of leaving. And now, you know, his sons don't want to move to a different country, new school, new language. And so I think the football will be fine. It's always fine for him. It's the life off the field that will be a wrench. So what about, what do we make of the emotion? You know, uh, he's, he's farewell press conference. He was crying. I'm really sad because I didn't want to leave because this is the club I love. I didn't expect this. I've never lied. I've always been honest and upfront. Last year, I wanted to leave. This year, I didn't. This That's why I'm so sad. And then we get the pictures of him at uh, PSG and he's all smiles and happies and, and it seems very, very comfortable and he's... Uh, in his uh, fitness uh, test or his, his screening and so forth. What, what, do we, what can we make of all of that? I mean, I don't think he's trying to manipulate us hugely. And usually he doesn't use high-flown language about loving the club or kissing the badge or whatever. Uh, footballers very rarely are sentimental about their clubs. The club is the employer. They have a career. They are professionals. That's the language they use, you know, uh, pro, career. And that's how they think. And if you're messy, you also have this kind of, historical mission to be the greatest and so he always makes sure that he's scoring more goals if Mbappe is scoring 35 in France Messi will score 36 in Spain so he's very driven by his personal mission he feels responsibility at Barcelona to win every match so not when they beat Mallorca 4-0 but in a kind of tight game when the team's not performing he feels enormous pressure that he has to win it and when they win a trophy when they win the league he doesn't feel joy he feels relief because he feels he carries the responsibility of the whole club. So I'm not sure about love. I think he was crying partly because, you know, this life that suited him so well and this career that has suited him brilliantly for 15 years is suddenly, shockingly, coming to an end. I mean, it it is quite... It will be quite traumatic, I think, for any worker who's in a happy place to hear that. And, and it's over now. Uh, we all have phases of our lives which are better than others, and, and this for him was a, a rude shock, an ending for him and, and his family and his young children. You, you, you mentioned uh, his influence and, and, uh, and, and the, the power that he wielded at Barcelona. We're all conscious of that. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion on, on how Maurizio Pochettino is going to manage this. Uh, so you've obviously got uh, Neymar, who's great friends with, with Messi, and he was very influential and in apparently reporting back to the players that he'd been communicating regularly with Messi. We also know that Messi doesn't uh, um, uh, suffer fools in, in his view. Uh, the uh, the story that you, you talk about in the extract of the book uh, with uh, with Koeman, where he, uh, uh, he he comes to the club and, and says to Messi, your privileges in the squad are over. You have to do everything for the team. I'm going to be inflexible. And, uh, and equally just uh, left uh, Luis Suarez uh, with a one-minute phone call, which uh, Messi was offended by the Dutch directness, as you say, encountered the Latin etiquette. I mean, what are we going to expect with Messi? Is Pochettino a better fit for him than, than, than other managers might be? Messi doesn't really care much about managers. He thinks the manager should shut up, should put the best players on the field, and they'll sort it out. So when you had the Messi, Neymar, Suarez attack of Barcelona, it wasn't that Luis Enrique was saying, and then you make a run deep, and then you pass uh, over to the left wing. They work it out themselves on the field because the best players are the best analysts of football. They don't need someone to tell them. So Messi doesn't want Pochettino to manage him. Messi can do that fine. What, you, what the problem for Pochettino is going to be managing the eight players who are going to do all the defensive work. Because you have Messi and Neymar who don't defend and Mbappe who barely does. Now, in most teams, you have 11 players going both ways. In Paris, you might have nine players doing the defensive work. 
So that side of the defensive and midfield organization is going to be Pochettino's huge responsibility. And um, the attack, I think, will take care of itself. It'll be interesting to see uh, uh, just how it goes if it's not going as well, because we uh, we saw that uh, PSG didn't have it all their own way in the most recent season. Obviously, didn't win the title. Leon uh, took that uh, mantle, and uh, you know there'll be plenty of clubs that they'll just make mince meat of. But uh, but when they've got a get to the Champions League and take on the, the big guns, that's uh, that's when it's really going to be uh, uh, pressure stakes, high-pressure stakes. Uh, I can't wait to see that match-up, if there is one, uh, against City. Hey, uh, Simon, uh, before we let you go, when we started this uh, podcast about uh, six years ago, the first book I booked was your uh, Football Men book, and it's, uh, it's a real delight to have you on the show. Uh, um, your your book, Barca, is, is just published and, you know, obviously uh, it may not be available on the bookshelves in Australia right now, but online uh, people can can get it uh, uh, pretty pretty easily. Thank you very much, guys. Not at all. Simon Cooper from the Financial Times. Uh, great conversation there, and uh, we're really grateful for his time. I think Michael, uh, this will be just a fascinating story. As oh, it there's out. so many there's so many angles to it as he goes into the PSG mm. environment and um, and how the, this group will gel. And mm. uh, we know that Neymar and Messi uh, had a lot of success together at Barca, don't we? But mm. it'll be interesting to see just what actually happens and and whether it uh, it is the greatest uh, mm. move of all time or or a disaster. Yeah. And if you want to um, get a sense of, of what's about to happen, I mean, look, I'd encourage people to get this book because the extract, it was fascinating enough as it was yeah. for me. To, uh, it's, Simon is a great storyteller and uh, and, he, and he, he tells the story in a way that compels you to turn a page in the way that a good uh, fiction novel does. So, uh, so yeah, get a hold of, of But with Messi, book. there's just so many layers to his story. It's the mm-hmm. relationship in Argentina with Maradona and then obviously mm-hmm. uh, his connection with the, the Catalonian club. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it, it's just going to be an amazing journey to watch. Yeah, 100% will be. Simon Cooper from the Financial Times. Get the book, Barca. You get it online. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk to John Stensholt from The Australian. Uh, We read in the paper this week that uh, we're launching, Australia is launching another World Cup bid. Um, I hope it's uh, not as ill-fated as the last one was. We also want to talk to John about the uh, the 10 Paramount deal for the A and W leagues as they come up. So stick around. That's all coming up next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Uh, well, we talked Messi off the top, but uh, geez, it was a big, big discussion as to whether this next story around uh, the potential for Australia to bid for the World Cup uh, would bump it. And our friend John Stensholt from the Australian broke that story with his colleague Glenda Corporal. How are you, John? Yeah, good. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, when we originally uh, invited John, and we will get to this, we uh, we wanted to we planned to talk about the the ten Paramount A League deal, and of course, we're still interested in that. But uh, you've sort of bumped the own story, your own story there with this World Cup yarn. Uh, so, uh, you, you quote quite a few senior sources in there. We see the the names James Johnson and Rod McGeoch. So, uh, how did did you get on to this? Uh, I guess you know, obviously, without leaking your sources, mate. But mm-hmm. um, and uh, and some of the, the the comment that you got were that, were they surprised that you onto it or um, yeah what, how, how did it all come about uh, yeah I guess there was an element of surprise no it's just to be clear it's not really sort of getting dropped from anyone or anything like that it's unfortunately as much as I'd love to I don't really get many drops as we call it in the business mm. you, mm. you know get leaks from you know people that want to see these stories out there uh, no look it was a couple of weeks ago if you remember when Brisbane 2032 the Olympics got awarded you know Rod McGeoch uh, 
was quoted in our paper, you know, about major events and so on. He was quoted in the story that we had today as well, um, saying that he, you know, been out there looking for uh, to drum up some support for the for a 2030 bid, potentially for a World Cup, more likely 2034. So, you know, you piece it together and you've uh, gone to um, Football Australia and eventually got the chat with. James Johnson, he confirms you know things and talked about how it's part of their sort of aspiration. So look, it's a, it's a long way away. There's no no doubt about that. But the fact that uh, you know, talks are taking place and the idea is being floated, you know, government officials you know could be keen on it. Major events kind of strategy, I suppose, rather than being driven out of you know just FA. I think it's interesting. So you know you have a combination of the government or governments, state governments, federal governments potentially. A government body that might look at these things. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that's going to happen in Australian sport over the next decade or so. You know, leading up to and you know just after Brisbane. So, you know, football World Cup, you know, rugby World Cup. There's other codes that as well having World Cups or big events here. So, it's all part of that sort of hopefully you know a golden era of Australian sport. But this one would top a lot of it, I think. Well, it's the biggest and most popular sporting event in the world. It's going through a massive expansion. 2026 in in America uh, and Mexico and Canada. Uh, 48 teams, 16 groups of three teams, 16 cities required. There's going to be three in Mexico, three in Canada, and 10 in the USA. They're going through the process of selecting cities now for 2026. So that's the obvious question that sticks out is we couldn't do it alone because we need 16 cities. That's mandated uh, under the FIFA program. And obviously FIFA's really looking at regions to band together. So obviously, do we go with New Zealand or do we go with Indonesia? Uh, there has been a bit of a talk previously about Indonesia being a possibility to to join us and maybe it's a combination of three. What do you think, John? I think it'd be an excellent idea. I think you're right. There's, there's days the way it's just one country seem to be over, don't they? You're looking sort of you know, sort of pan pan sort of uh, you know pan across continents potentially, or you know, a couple of com- you know I, I just sort of think like a Spain and Portugal make sense, or a Uruguay and Argentina, or you're right, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia is a really really interesting idea. I'm sort of thinking we talk about China being a really heavy favourite, and that obviously so far we've got 16 cities uh, and, and plenty left over to spare with you know really big population centres. But do you do, do you do JVs with with them or with Japan? I mean, yeah, you're right. Once you sort of open it up to, to multi countries, it doesn't necessarily have to be next door. It probably has to be reasonably close by. But 2034, well, you know, who knows what transport looks like in that regard? I mean, it's going to be and obviously a times could be shut down. We'll obviously compete with other nation, other sort of um, potential opportunities in Asia because obviously for us to win it, Asia's got to get behind us. China's obviously the big one. They've, uh, you know, they'll be looking at a World Cup. But interestingly enough, I rang a colleague in uh, Kuala Lumpur who's connected at the AFC and said they're expecting a very big push for Thailand, Malaysia. Laos and Cambodia to do a, a joint bid as well. So there is um, quite a bit of um, competition for this out there and, and who knows uh, what FIFA's decision-making process is going to be in four or five years when all this goes down. So it's very, very exciting. I guess the, the, the next question I've got is, is there enough water float under the bridge from the disaster of 2010, $46 million? Or you, you, you referred to it in your article, $46 million of public funds squandered uh, for one vote. It's a decade ago, isn't it? It's 11 years ago. Yeah, it, it seems like yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? But you get a few years down the line. Look, I mean, there's obviously a new regime in there, and uh, it's all a matter of, I think, something like this, you've really got to have the excellent relationship at government level you know, to overcome that. I mean, there will always be a stigma attached with that. You know, here we go again. So I think, firstly, you just couldn't be, you, you couldn't spend that amount of money. 
have that amount of money in the budget. I mean, you have to do it on the cheap, so to speak. I mean, I think we, you know, the 2023 bid was uh, probably got, a, I think it was only a couple of million dollars sort of funding, you know, from uh, from government uh, to do that, to pursue that. But the voting structure uh, and procedure has changed. You, you don't necessarily have to fly around the world. I mean, I think the Australian New Zealand 2023 women's bid was a combination of being the best technical bid, you know, and also, you know, they had pretty good relations as well. So you probably want to have that. But as you say, look, there's going to be a lot of jostling behind the scenes as to who actually gets the, you know, the information from, from the Asian Federation. But I, I think overall, though, what it, it does show is there's a bit of aspiration back to Football Australia. There's a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of optimism. Yeah, it's a good sign, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what it probably shows. And I think if you can parlay that optimism into, you know, getting more funding for infrastructure, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work that needs to be done at grassroots level, all that sort of thing. I think if you play the game right, that's probably where what, what can actually be the winning part of any sort of bid. Yeah, and, and part of the, the manifesto of Gianni Infantino uh, in the post-Sep Blatter era is obviously to um, to uh, make clear that every single voting process is up, on the up and up, is completely legitimate and that uh, we uh, are totally uh, in uh, in the, the spotlight. So insofar as the other story that we wanted to get you on, John Stensholt from The Australian, um, we, uh, we, we were interested, very interested in, in the, uh, the ambitious plans of 10 and the newly released Paramount Plus to to get involved with football. Uh, you know, there's a lot of big words being said around uh, the, uh, the 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 deal and and their expectations. Look, they did have it once before, and and it was an underwhelming job. They were playing one Foxtel game, um, but uh, a week. But uh, you know, from a commercial point of view, I'm not sort of asking with a marketing hat on, but from a commercial point of view, what are your expectations and what sort of markers are there that you have to to call this a success in in the early stages into to the the, the interim, you know, short-term future? I think one of the smart things they've done in this is is offered A-League members or memberships, you know, that if you're signing up with your club, you'll get a discounted sort of access to Paramount. So that I think that's smart. So there's, you know, there's a connection there already. Uh, and that's something that hasn't been done previously in the sport or, or, any, or any sort of sports race, uh, you know, to be honest. So I think that's a good idea. It's, 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 it's a fledgling thing, right? So Paramount literally just started this week as a streaming service. Uh, you know, there's not much other sport attached to it, I think. Uh, and you're obviously going with the new network. So things are going to take time to bet in. Uh, you're also going with the third, you know, highest rating network. I mean, there's just not getting around that, uh, you know, Channel 10 doesn't rate as well as a 7 or 9, but it does tend to skew a bit younger in its viewership. And it has done that for a long, long time. And that's where the A-League is a hope to play in that space, right? The A-League membership, A-League, A-League crowds, fans tend to skew, you know, a fair, a fair bit younger than the other, you know, football codes and cricket. Uh, so, in that case, it could be a good marriage. But I think from uh, yeah, from the A League's point of view, you know, they obviously want to have decent numbers. They want to stay on the main channel. They don't want a situation where, you know, in three months' time, we're halfway through the season, ten games, and the ratings aren't very good. We're going to put it back on one of our secondary channels. And uh, and also, I think from a ten point of view, they want to see some really good sign-ups for Paramount. You know, because streaming is the future and this streaming product, they're putting a bit of uh, investment behind it from their USHQ and they want to help, uh, you know, they're one of the A-League, they want football and, you know, soccer even still to help drive subscriptions. That's what it is for them. 
So what about Viacom CBS? I understand that they're merging with 10 and uh, that's been an ongoing process that's almost complete. So there's obviously a heavy influence there and um, we hear uh, Rod Prosser, the Network 10 Chief Sales Officer, say that they're uh, they're interested in the World Cup too and that they're sitting down and talking to SBS about potentially getting an on-sale or maybe some games or, or all of the 2022 World Cup rights from SBS. So it seems to me they're saying the right things about trying to consolidate as much of the football content they can and we might be you know, effectively in a situation where you're at, you, you, you get your football from Paramount and Optus. Hopefully it's the case. Right? I mean, uh, yeah, looking at it uh, as a football fan, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, streaming services you're going to have in this upcoming season, isn't it? Well, Champions League is a good stand, you know, yeah. That's so, right, and it'd be in as well for us, uh, you know, Serie A fans and so on and so forth as well, some of the European leagues. So, look, I mean, there is research around there, and if you talk to the bosses of streaming services, they, they will say that people, you know, might even have up to five or six different yep. different <laughs> different accounts. So, yeah, that, that may be the case. But you're right, it's very um, fragmented at the moment, Uh you know, the more content in one network, the better, and that and that would help drive subscriptions. So, so what can well, just to bring this money. just to bring this together? What can Paramount do that Fox Sports couldn't? The free to air element. Yeah, that's the only that's the only thing. I mean, look, you know, Fox Sports and KO. I mean, there's and look, you know, with just just to be perfectly clear, I work for the Australian, which is owned by by News, which owns you know obviously Fox Sports and KO. They've just had an excellent time sign up, bro. There's a couple of million. Uh, people, you know, they've signed up to KO and Foxtel these days. So that's, you know, that's very good numbers. Now, Paramount's starting from scratch. So there's a fair bit of catch-up to go yet. But I suppose, uh, you know, you've got that free-to-air element. So if they can get a, you know, they get, you know, you get a couple of games, you know, a weekend across uh, free-to-air and mix that in and help sort of cross-promote the Paramount as- aspect, you've got the best of both worlds in that way. You've got free-to-air promoting, uh, go and, you know, subscribe to this streaming service as well. So, You've got a bit of both. You've got reach at free-to-air level, and then you've hopefully got some subs that are, that are coming off that from a business point of view. That's what you really want from a Channel 10 point of view and hopefully from a football point of view too. Well, John, I think we're all on the same page in that we want it to be successful. We, we just know at some point football is going to take its rightful place on the, the podium of Australia's top-level sports uh, on a weekly basis rather than just when the Matildas and the Socceroos and the Ollieroos do well. So um, hopefully they do get it right and, um, and this is the, uh, you know, the early stages of, of that hopeful uh, um, golden future that uh, we've all been waiting for. Mate, thanks so much for, for joining us. World Cup, A-League deals, um, you're across it all, mate. Uh, John Stensel from the Australian. Thanks, Jens. Okay, stick around. Nick Montgomery, new coach at the Central Coast Mariners, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We're traversing the world in this opening hour of the show this week, and what better way to wrap up the hour than one of the real success stories of the. A-League season just gone. They had uh, six consecutive wooden spoons. They finished third on the ladder this season and uh, they're one of the favourite clubs of every fan who doesn't follow the Central Coast Mariners and a a man who uh, played over 100 games for the club. He's now the manager for the upcoming season, Nick Montgomery. Uh, How are you, Nick? 
Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the introduction. Not at all, Nick. And uh, and so if we read the press release, uh, you're uh, enthusiastic about what you describe as the conveyor line of uh, of young players and uh, and and so much more to come. We've seen uh, a few of the big names leave, but um, but who who, uh, who are the the big names of the the coming season that we can expect to see? Yeah, look, you just mentioned them. We've obviously in the last six months we've sold three players over overseas to top European clubs in. Germany, Denmark, um, and now Norway. So I think, as a club, uh, you know, been been known for developing players over the years. Um, not as many the last, you know, probably five years before the last season um, when we had Matty Ryan and Tommy Rogic and all them boys that, that went over to Europe. Um, but look, moving forward, we've got some very talented young players coming through. Um, obviously, you know, now we've. Uh, and now we've also got other, other players, young young players from around the country that want to come and join the Mariners because they see it as a pathway not only into the A-League but overseas, which is you know, where most kids dream of playing um, at some point in their career. So look, without really naming names, there's, there's plenty of young players that, that are coming through the ranks and I'm sure they'll make an impact this year in the A-League. Nick, congratulations on your ascension to the top job at the Central Coast Mariners. You are a stalwart of a club, having uh, played the amount of games you've played, but also been involved in youth development. Um, I know a lot of Central Coast fans, and they were so excited last year. It was a real uh, re-emergence of, of a club that we knew had a successful DNA way back uh, when you were winning titles and playing off in regular final series. And, and I asked a, a couple of them today, what's the real, what's the, the sort of top question you want Nick to answer? And they asked me to ask you. Um, they were obviously disappointed that Alan Stajic, who obviously was a key component in getting the uh, the results uh, of last season, moved on. And they would like to know, what, what message do you have for those Central Coast fans who enjoyed um, Stajic's approach and enjoyed the success that he brought? Uh, can you continue it? But what message do you have to those fans? Because some of them are a little bit disappointed that uh, he's not uh, remained as coach. Oh, look, I think first and foremost, football is football. Players come and go, coaches come and go. Alan came in the first year, you know, he had a really tough time, um, didn't win many games of football, um, you know, but the second year last season, he had a really good season, um, but, you know, it was it was clear there was eight or nine young boys that came up through the academy that really gave the, the club a real boost last season. I was fortunate that I spent, you know, a, a couple of years coaching them young players and I think they made a massive impact last year on the squad, uh, adding to the experienced boys that we had, so look. You know, Alan decided to move on. Um, you know, the, I'm sure. You know, at some point he'll get another job somewhere else. Uh, he was a good guy, good coach. Um, but you know, I worked with Alan as well in, in pushing these young players through into the first team squad. So look, you know, for me, I'd say don't worry. I'd say there's plenty more young players coming through. Um, obviously, I've got contacts all over the world in terms of uh, my. You know, my contacts. Um, you know, difficult time right now for every early club to look at bringing in overseas players with the cost of, uh, of COVID and quarantine and stuff. But um, you know, I'm hopeful to bring in a couple of, of visa players as well um, to add to Marco Schirena and, and obviously um, you know, Nikolai Muller, the German, who, you know, who's been at West Sydney for a couple of years. So you know, we've got a good balance, youth and experience, and look, we're still on the lookout for players. What I did say is I won't bring any players in that are not better than what we've got. And, and by, by, by saying that, I mean not better than the young players that we've got coming through our own academy. So... Look, I think the future's bright. Um, look, the A-League is going to be a, you know, probably a tougher league this year. Um, you can see some of the A-League clubs uh, you know, are signing some some big-name players and, and splashing a little bit more uh, salary than they did in the, in, in the last 12 months. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful and 
and, and confident that you know we can carry on the, the good work from last year and, and really push the club on now and, and you know and, and challenge everybody in the early next season. So for them fans that are worried, I'd say don't worry. I'll give everything I've got and make sure that every anyone that pulls on the Mariners shirt is going to go out there and, and give everything for the fans and play a brand of football where we try and win games of football and and you know um, bring the fans into the stadium so they can enjoy watching. Uh, a good team play, um, good football with a, with a good mix of young players and experienced players. You mentioned Marco Urenia. The club's, uh, I think, agreed to a, two, a new two-year deal for him. He was uh, a player that really excited um, uh, Mariners fans last year. When you add him to Mark Birigidi, uh I understand another uh, extension for two years. Uh, Matt Simon, the cultural barometer of the team, he's going around again for another year. And Nikolai Muller, you mentioned him just previously. He's a... Uh, a, a player that you've secured from Western Sydney. Can you tell us what you saw in Nikolai and um, how that's come about and what uh, particular aspect is he going to add to your team? Well, you mentioned there about, about you know, some, of the, some of the experienced players that we've got. Um, we've got a real good core of experienced players and leaders. Talk about Matt Simon, you know, Oliver Zanich, Michael Chirino, Barry Gitty, Tony Carroll. So, the, you know, the spine of the team is there. Um, but look, talk about Nikolai, he's a very talented player, um, German international, played in the Bundesliga, uh, been here for a couple of years, possibly didn't have his best season last year with West Sydney, but look, he was a marquee player, you, know, you have a lot of pressure on you um, when things don't go well at the club, you know, you know, possibly he became a little bit of a scapegoat where um, you know, Wanderers didn't make the top six, so that, that's normal, that's what happens in football, in any sport. Um, but look, he's a fantastic uh, player, he's a great guy. Um, and I spoke to him and I explained what we're doing here. I explained that we don't have the, you know, we don't have the, the budget that, that that some of the big team, big teams have. But what I did, what I did explain to him is, if you come here, you, you know, you'll be one of the like part of the, the leadership group, the experienced boys. Come here, enjoy your football. Um, and, and like I said, everyone knows football. Knows he's a very talented player. So, you know, I'm hoping in this environment with the players we've got around him. Not not only can he help the young players, and um, you know he can also be part of that leadership group. So look, he's he's really really happy. He's started training really well the last two weeks. So like I can say he could you know become an integral part of the, the squad this season. And you know search for uh, you know our search for being successful uh, this this league season. And before we let you go, Nick, um, a couple of those players who, who are in the leadership group and uh, will hopefully help guide those young players from the academy coming through that were at the Olympics, uh, Ruan Tonyuk and Kai Rolls. We saw uh, Kai take it up to uh, Unite Simon against Spain. Uh, um, have you spoken to the boys since and have you had any feedback from Kai on, uh, on his uh, moment in the sun against uh, one of the big boys? Yeah, Kai's a great guy. I'm, you know, I've kept in touch with all the players since I since I got the job. I was in constant touch with the players during the lockdown. We jumped on Zoom calls, but you know, in terms of Kai, the Olympics, um, great experience for him. Um, obviously disappointed the, the, the way that the that the Australian went out of the competition. Um, but, but to play against that caliber caliber of players, um, he's always going to be good experience. And look, he's you know he's desperate to get back in on the training pitch. He's still in quarantine until next week. Um, but yeah, look, everybody's raring to go. It's a long pre-season. Obviously difficult to navigate with the COVID situation at the minute. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's, like I said, everybody's raring to go and really looking forward to, you know, to, 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 to building on uh, last season and building through this pre-season. Hopefully start playing some trial games in the next couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, look, you know, look, look at you know, how we're going to play and integrate the new players into the squad. So that's what pre-season's for. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, we're a couple of months away from kickoff. There's obviously the FFA Cup in, in between and a lot of preparation to go. But Nick, uh, uh, anyone who, who knows your background, 350-odd uh, games with Sheffield United and 100-plus with the Mariners knows that uh, you're a football man through and through. And uh, the Central Coast Mariners are a much-loved club in, in the A-League. And, uh, and we hope that, uh, as you say, you can springboard that success of the most recent season into a, a brighter future for the two-time Premiers. And, uh, and we see the Mariners uh, have another successful season season in the uh, in the Alex season to come appreciate your support guys and yeah like you said it's a special club um, I think it's got a special place in most people's heart you know? it's just a small club with a big heart and mm. that's what it's known for and, and no doubt you know, that's what it will continue to be known for as well as developing young players and, and, and being a real you know, destination for, for top young players to come in Australia who do have a dream of moving into the national teams and overseas so anyway that's my uh, that's my uh, ambition and I'll give it everything I've got Get on your Nick. Nick Montgomery, he's going to coach the Mariners in the upcoming A-League season. All right, stick around. In the next hour, we're going to talk to Greg Evans from The Athletic about Aston Villa. Jack Grealish is gone. He's uh, another of the big, big departures. But uh, what does it mean for Villa? What does it mean for Manchester City? We'll talk more Europe with Dino and Delta. Set up the Premier League season and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time, as we always do. That's all after the news on box to box Now, this is box to box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box, second edition news soon with Willem van Dender and it was a busy first hour, it's going to be a busy second hour. Greg Evans, not the one from Perfect Match, the one from The Athletic. He's going to talk Aston Villa, Jack Grealish departing, arriving at City. What's going to happen with Villa? What's going to happen with Jack? We'll find out from Greg when we talk. I wonder what Dexter would think about... Uh, I wonder what he would, Michael. More Jack European <laughs> news with the boys, he just can't help himself. He can't. And uh, we will wrap it up with stoppage time. So yes, for anyone who isn't of the age that remembers Perfect Match and the Greg Evans that was on that show, the host of that dating show, this is not the same man. He has two Gs, he's a football expert and he's from The Athletic. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green God Army, Rob and Michael. The next stage of the Socceroos World Cup qualifying campaign is almost upon us. They might not have the support of our government, but by God, they'll have the support of the Green and Gold Army. Sign up to the mailing list today <laughs> at ggatravel.com.au and you'll be amongst the first to know about info regarding overseas tours. One man who will be hoping to be there for those upcoming qualifiers is Tom Rogic. He was handed his first start for Celtic this this season and promptly rewarded Ange Postacoglu, scoring their third in a 6-0 league win over Dundee. Happier times this week at Celtic Park for Ange. Staying in Scotland, Martin Boyle was on the score sheet again for Hibernian in their 3-0 win over Ross County, but back to Celtic. Yeah, um, what was trending after that uh, 6-0 win over uh, over Dundee? Well, then what do you think was trending? Ange in. No, we no. love Ange. God bless Ange. God bless Ange. That was trending in Glasgow. Geez, he's been entertaining in the uh, the post-match press as he well. Has, he got a fantastic. slightly negative comment after the 6-1. He goes, geez, you've done well to find one today. <laughs> uh, Tyrese Francois for Fulham in the uh, championship as well. He played 83 minutes in their opening day uh, match against Middlesbrough. That's always a good sign for a young player after pre-season. Usually you've got lots of players to choose from and everyone's come in fit. So it's clearly he's impressed over a period of time. Harry Soutar and Riley McGree were absent on opening day, but Soutar did return for Stoke in the League Cup, scoring as they defeated his old side Fleetwood. Town. 
In Denmark, Alma Bill scored a cracker off the bench as Michelin put four past Vila. And Lawrence Thomas was back between the sticks for Sondiosk. And if Matt Ryan can't get his knee right ahead of the couple of World Cup qualifiers coming yeah, who up... Is the think, who is well, the number two? Who is the I think two? it's Vukovic. He's about to start his season with uh, his new Dutch club, Nijmegen, this week in the Eredivisie. So we'll see if he's the guaranteed number one. If Vukovic doesn't start, I think it'd have to be Thomas because Andrew Redmayne was the other, uh, the other goalkeeper in the mix at the moment and he hasn't been playing for Sydney FC. So I think it would be Lawrence... Uh, over to Japan, Kevin Musket has made a solid start to life with Yokohama. He won his first game in charge against Gamba 3-2 and followed that up with a two-all draw with Shimizu. And Football Australia has begun the recruiting process for a new Oli Roos boss following the completion of the Tokyo Olympics. So Graham Arnold had the job for three years. Highlights obviously being progression in, what was it, Bangkok, January uh, 2020 and the Argentina win. But uh, that's it for Rani as Oli Roos boss. Is that a sacking and axing? You can apply for that job, Rob? Yes, I am. Yep, I've got plenty of time on my plate and um, I'd be an expert at that job. Rounding out on the Olympics, Canada has become just the fourth nation to win Olympic gold in women's football, defeating Sweden on penalties in the final last weekend. It sealed deserved glory for the side. They're quite boringly named Canada Women's Soccer Team. I think they need a nickname. They, do, uh, they have won bronze at the past two games. Sweden. Well, Michael, what's the, once the again, United States women's team called, by the way? Sorry to talk over there. Well, the US women's national team, absolutely. Well, and Megan, called, Megan, no, well, no, 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 hence the question, what are they called? You tell me, Rob. Well, Stars and Stripes. Canada, bronze at the past two. Sweden, silver at the uh, at this one and the one just before. And in the men's tournament, a cracking goal from Malcolm in extra time saw Brazil pass Spain, while Mexico defeated Japan to win bronze. Wanted to discuss the place of football at the Olympics, Michael. I know you hate it. You think it's the worst thing in the world. No, I don't, and prior, I don't hate it. Prior to the start of the Olympics, I tended to agree that maybe that, along with tennis and golf, shouldn't be there, as those sports don't see the games as the pinnacle of their sport. But as I went along, I realised that football at the Olympics isn't for us. It's not for the purists who watch the game week in, week out. It's for those who rarely watch but do see the green and gold at, on the, the major stage or maybe at a World Cup, particularly in the women's stuff where it's not fully, where it is fully fledged as opposed to the Oli Roos who aren't. And I had mates messaging me who don't watch football asking or with opinions on the Matildas and I think that's fantastic and we've just seen how relevant the Olympic Games still are to the world as it is. So why wouldn't we want to have our game at, at the party? Um, well, if you're going to do that, let's have, have it properly and let's not exclude well, five. Let's not, no, it's not. There's five, five of the best ten, 10 teams in the women's competition are not uh, at the Olympic Games because of the geographic nature of the qualification process. So you want so, to change the qualification, not well, the I issue think, of having it there in the first place. I think place. they've got to go to 16 teams. They've got to go to four groups. Oh, they, to finish third and uh, get through in that, uh, in that sort of tournament, for me, doesn't work. They can get another four teams in, and, and I think they have to give you more places because that's where they're the best team. And they've got to work out a, a, a module around the, the ranking system. We ensure the best teams get there. But um, we, we, women's football is growing to such a prominence in, in the world that, that uh, I don't think it needs the Olympics anymore. The Women's World Cup stands on its own, and maybe we go to an under-23 competition for the women as well. That's something to consider. Westpac have expanded fraud accusations against Australian businessman and Sydney Olympic chairman Bill Pappas, whose assets have been frozen while the matter is before court. Westpac had accused Pappas's company Forum Finance of fraud worth $400 million Australian, and accusations of further extraction of $44 million have this week been levelled at the company. Pappas is the owner of Greek club Zanti FC, and Michael is a key player in the AAFC's push for a second division. Yeah, that's right. How do you get away with uh, scooting the country with $350 million of Westpac's money, Rob? 
It just mystifies me, doesn't it? Um, it's a defied belief. Yeah, obviously, uh, um, there's a lot more to play out here, and he hasn't uh, turned up in court yet. He's, he's saying that he has COVID and can't travel and uh, all those types of things. But uh, that'll play out, obviously, but just not a story that soccer wants to be associated with. Uh, mm. We know there's colourful racing identities. There is a colourful few, few colourful football identities. Most of them uh, seem to be in the traditional clubs of the old NSL days. Staying with the AAFC, their president, Nick Galatis, has welcomed Football Australia's inclusion of a placeholder for a second division in its annual match calendar. The AAFC had been operating independently of the match calendar, which is an A-League and APL initiative, and Galatis believes the marriage of the two takes the second division a step closer to you, reality. And here's the serious? kicker. Here's the kicker. Galatis has told Soccer Scene, and they are good friends of our Soccer Scene, the next step is to work with Football Australia to develop a model suitable for clubs Australia-wide. I would have thought are that we, would have been the first step. It's, it's not April. First, and it? this is not at all progress. This is standing still, wrapped up and packaged as moving forward. Well, we're approaching our three hundredth episode, Rob, next and, week. And uh, not only that, so it's five and a half, five, f- five years and six months down the track. Do, do you know that we covered the second division on our first show? <laughs> no, look, Did you know Michael, that? No, look, I'll take your word for that. But so, so that is the fact that the WFC is celebrating the place market in a calendar mm-hmm. as progress. My God, we might need to do 5,000 shows before we get the second division up, Rob. Well, you did say you'd be up for that last week. Yeah, true. I did say we'll be around. I mean, uh, uh, because we've got, to, we've got to be on we air. Should we should book, well, we? have got to be on air how when we announce Harry Kuehl taking over yeah, the job. Yeah, of the how old are we going to be, Rob, when the second division gets up? Serious, serious How? Oh, I mean, you're older than me, but how old Not will we be? Willem, you'll be, you, your kids will have grown up and gone to high school Jeez. by that stage. Uh, Juventus have this week been accused of blatant racism oh, after their Twitter account nasty. posted a picture of women's player Cecilia Salve making a racist eye gesture. The picture also had Salve wearing a training cone to mimic a straw hat. Uh, it seemed to have no context whatsoever. It seemed to just be posted out of the blue and was live for around 25 minutes. Rob, I want to show you this picture live now. A statement read, We sincerely apologise um... to our tweet, which was not meant to cause controversy or have racial undertones. Uh, it may have offended anyone. So they've done the dance around apology. And here it is now. Yeah, well, let's... What uh, is it with Italians, Rob? Yeah, well, look, so for what anyone... Okay, Italians? well, Michael, so we are on radio. It's not television, so it, it's... it's Can you sort describe of, what she's saying? Well, I'd rather not I've because... I've described it. it. It's cl- it's, Everyone knows what it is. Yeah, it's classic sort of school kid stuff circa 1952, and uh, and, and it's just dumb. Um, I think every country is capable of it. I think but serious question, just, but Italy seems to be no, a home for those types of it's, things, It's right? no more racist than any other part of the world. I mean, there you are racists everywhere. We've got a few here just quietly, and... Um, and there are plenty um, in all parts of the world, so you know it. And you're only attempting to wind. Love up. to know what Damo will not take the bait. We should well, go to the real Italian room. in the room to see whether there's a bit of unorthodoxy in the uh, Italian culture around this sort of stuff, Damo. No, well, there's not. He's um, nodding. He's nodding. He's officially. He's officially given the the. Yeah, the but as long as, long as we're, we're clear on the record that there are no racists in Australia. Well, there's plenty. There's plenty. Well, I I, I rest my case. But I'll just send it. It seems a bit in football in Italy. All right. Well done, Willem. Thank you. Okay. Stick around after the break. Greg Evans from The Athletic. We talked about Lionel Messi in the opening hour with Simon Cooper, but Greg Evans is going to talk to us about the departure of Jack Grealish, the local boy. Huge loss, isn't it? It is massive from Aston Villa, but they're still uh, it's short, rel- relatively short in the bookies' markets to finish top ten. So I want to ask him uh, just what his expectations are. Danny Ings' his arrival, etc. There's a, a lot of expectation. So Greg Evans, the Athletic, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the yes, most this is Box to Box. We talked about the biggest departure from a club in the football world in the opening hour with Simon Cooper from the Financial Times. That was Lionel Messi, of course. But if it had to have been for Lionel leaving, then Jack Grealish would have certainly stood on uh, the silver spot on the podium, leaving Aston Villa, a local boy. Um, just heartbreaking for diehard Aston Villa fans. And the man who covers the beat for The Athletic is Greg Evans. And we welcome him back to the show. How are you, Greg? Yeah, hi, Rob. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, mate. And look, I can speak... Um, f- very personally on this subject because uh, I have a little boy who has special needs and he has a lot of carers and uh, one of those carers is a young man called Cam Dawson and uh, he is uh, a boy that's been in Australia for about 10 years and he's from Solihull and um, and he yeah so just as I was talking to him before I I left for the show telling him I was going to talk to you and uh, and he said oh please tell ask Greg you know uh, what our chances are with Jack leaving. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be tough, I think, for Aston Villa now. Now Jack Grealish has left. Look, he he, he was the star of Aston Villa. Um, everything went through him. He was the the chief creator um, and scored quite a lot of goals in in, in his last couple of seasons as well. Um, j- just something interesting, maybe that you you might not know over there um, in Australia, Robbie. You mentioned that um, that your son there had special needs now. What Jack Grealish used to do is because he's got a sister with um, with special needs as well, so he used to take a lot of time out to um, sign merchandise, sign boots, sign shirts, um, and send them on to to handicapped and disabled Aston Villa fans. Um, and you know, it's just an incredible gesture, just something that often doesn't get reported. But because I got to know Jack quite well, um, but, you know, that's what I found out that he. That he used to do and he never asked for any publicity for it he used to just do it out of the kindness of his heart so look you know he's an exceptional talent a brilliant brilliant footballer but also a very good guy as well yeah what do you think just taking your Aston Villa hat off for a second here and thinking about what he's going to bring to Manchester City a, a, a squad that's already got a galaxy of stars in and around the positions that Jack plays in are you going to back him to you know, elbow his way to the front of the queue, or do you feel like he's going to have a different kind of challenge there, and he's going to have to bide his time? Yeah, I think I think Derek is not going to have the um, the amount of minutes that he would have played for Aston Villa. Certainly, look, he was the guy that played every single minute, played every single game. Um, the guy that Aston Villa looked looked to when when they were in trouble, and look, he put he pulled Aston Villa out of the rubble on so many occasions. At Man City, it's going to be different. We know that Pep Guardiola rotates his squad um, you know he doesn't even, even Kevin De Bruyne the, the player who I class as the the best player in the Premier League um, he doesn't play every game does he you know, he doesn't play every minute so Jack, Jack's going to know that he's going to have to come in and out of that team when he does play he's going to have to perform but look I don't think a club pays £100 million for a player who's not going to be used regularly so you know he, he knows that he's going to get a lot of minutes What do you make of uh the managers and, and, and the club's acquisitions. They were clearly in the market well before the deal was done for Jack Grealish and clearly a lot of effort went into uh, attracting players from uh, Danny Ings to, to Bailey from the Bundesliga and Buendina from from Norwich, just a name but a few. Have you been uh, impressed with their recruitment policy so far and are these people really going to make you know, sort of fill that gap that Jack is leaving. Those players are always going to be um, 
linked to, to to Jack Grealish now, aren't they? Because they are the players tasked with with effectively replacing him. Um, I'm not sure if Danny Ings and Leon Bailey would have, would have both been signed if Jack Grealish hadn't been uh, hadn't departed. You know, Villa knew for a couple of weeks that he was going to go, and and, and they were they were acting very fast to get players in. Um, they they still held a little bit of hope that um, they could persuade Grealish to stay. Um, and, and they were trying to show how ambitious they were in the transfer market by signing these type of players and saying, look, Jack, if you stay, you're going to be playing alongside um, top quality players here still. We're really pushing um, you know, to, to, to break into those top five or six positions in the next couple of years. But it just felt like it was a little bit too too soon for Villa to hold on to him. Jack Grish wanted to go in and, uh, and play at the top level and show how good he is. And, and look, you know, he, he is one of the best players in the country. So for me, he deserves to be playing in, in one of the top teams. The pressure now will be on the likes of Danny Ings, who has done it um, in the Premier League year after year for probably three or four seasons now. Emmy Buendia, we know, has, has performed well for... Uh, Norwich in the Premier League, so I've got no worries about him coming in and, and settling in straight away. And Leon Bailey has obviously played at a very high level in the Bundesliga. Kind of came, he, he was kind of in Kai Havertz's shadows at Bayer Leverkusen for a couple of seasons when when he played out on the left wing. Um, last season he was put out onto the right wing. Obviously Havertz had moved on to Chelsea at that point, and he came out of his shell. I felt like he had probably his best season at the club. Um, and that's what sparks Villa's interest. So, yeah, Villa supporters will be hoping that the three of those can can help replace Jack. And this is Box to Box. We're talking to Greg Evans from The Athletic about the departure of Jack Grealish from Aston Villa and his imminent arrival at Manchester City. And, uh, you know, Jack, uh, as we uh, we move over to the Manchester City, uh, the career that he's about to have, uh, he, he certainly didn't do himself any harm during the Euro campaign. A lot of uh, pundits suggest that uh, Gareth Southgate didn't use him enough. So, uh, so Jack's... Uh, uh, image and his uh, reputation only built throughout the course of that tournament. So yeah, it, it'll add to that pressure when he arrives at City to, to really hit the ground running. Yeah, I think so. I remember reading an article in, in the New York Times um, during the Euros and, and the headline on, on the article was was Jack Grealish, England's golden boy. And I thought, wow, I mean, how far has this guy come for, for somebody who has not really played many games for England? And that was just a flavour of, of how he, he was gripping the nation almost. Um, I, I went, I was at Wembley for a couple of the games um, and, and I went and watched it, you know, some of the other games with my friends and, and the first song that a lot of, lot of supporters were singing with Jack Grealish's name, even if he wasn't playing, it was, it was just, it was a kind of surreal um, moment and experience, but that's just the type of player he is. It just shows how different he is to other players. He's, he's so exciting every time he gets on the ball, he, you know, he makes things happen. Um, and yeah, look, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I, I used to watch him every single week, but I just feel like he, he was underused to, you know, I feel like England, okay, England got to the final anyway, um, did very, very well, but I just feel like, you know, we, we, we could have, we could have performed better in the games. We could have excited the supporters a little bit more if Greenish had played. It's arguably going to be the most competitive season ever in the Premier League this season. There are so many good teams in this league now, even if you leave aside the kind of big four uh, and then you throw in um, Arsenal and uh, Tottenham and Leicester and West Ham uh, and then of course you have you have Aston, Aston Villa and, and Everton and Leeds and all sorts of teams. I mean, where do you think 
What's realistic for Villa this season? Where where can they get to amongst all that lot? Yeah, well, I mean, I watched Chelsea last night in, in, in Super Cup and half of their team weren't playing and I still thought they were so impressive. I think they're going to be really strong this season. I think what we have known as the traditional big six in England is now more of a big four. Um, you know, our, uh, sorry, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United and Man City. And then... The teams in and around those, then, as you know, the teams you mentioned there, Derek, they're all very much, much of a muchness. You know, they're closing in each other. I think. Um, so I think those positions between between fifth position and tenth position are very hard to predict. I think Aston Villa have the capabilities if they have a very good season to finish in fifth place. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they finished tenth. Um, I think it's just their hopes, their aims, their ambitions are just to continue building. Look, they've got the third richest owners in the country, um, Nassif Sawaris, the, the Egyptian businessman, and, and Wes Edens, um, uh, who also owns the Milwaukee Bucks in America. They're so ambitious. They want to take this club forward, but they know that there's lots of other big clubs that they have to get ahead of first, and that's really difficult. So the last three years since they took, took over the club, um, Villa have been on an upwards trajectory, but this is the hardest point for them now. They finished 11th in the Premier League last season and moving up those couple of key positions into the top six, seven or eight is really, really difficult, but possibly they could do it. Just quickly on uh, the, the gaffer, he's not going to have uh, John Terry by his side this season, but he's obviously done a fabulous job in the in the club. Tell us a bit about Dean Smith, his philosophy. And, you know, when he was when he was appointed the manager, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. But God, he's done a good job, hasn't he? Fantastic job. And I think it often gets overlooked. Um, for, for a manager who has been in charge for just three seasons now, he's achieved his brief in every single season. He, he came in when Villa were struggling in the Championship and he got them up into the Premier League in his first season, uh, kept them in the Premier League in his second season and then got them into mid-table in his third season. So, I mean, it, it's an incredible job, really, for somebody who had never managed in the Premier League. Um, the fact that he's got this local affinity, uh, connection with with the fan base, he, he was obviously a, a Villa supporter when he was um, w- growing up, makes it all just a, more of a fairy tale story. I think this season is going to be very hard because they need to kick on. As you mentioned, Derek, he, he's lost his right hand man in, in John Terry, who brings that modern link to the to the dressing room and and helps give something a little bit different. Um, and obviously he's lost his captain and his key player, Jack Greeley. So it's going to be difficult, but um, you know I, I always back them. I always back Dean Smith because of, of what he's done in recent years. Um, he's, he's very affable. He's very honest. Um, the players like him. His training sessions are always entertaining. Every time I interview players, they say they're never bored in training because he always manages to mix things up and, and make it different. Um, and I think what he's done this season with some of the signings. You know, the likes of Ings, the likes of Baylor. He's brought Twan Zebi back on loan and he's obviously brought Ashley Young back to the club um, to have this little bit of experience and know-how. I think what you'll find is that he'll move away a little bit from his traditional 4-3-3 system um, and play different formations and make Villa a little bit more unpredictable this season. So it's going to be exciting. I back the manager. 
um, and um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Villa can do. And Greg, before we let you go, um, Jack's uh, got at least the good fortune to uh, to be able to wait a few months. The first of December is when um, Manchester City travel to Villa Park. Uh, um, insofar as his ability to slip into the Guardiola system, you're obviously a, a, a big supporter of Jack, the footballer. Um, the welcome back home. Uh, how, how do you anticipate that to happen um, as the the season rolls out? Do, do you think it'll be dependent on how Villa are going at the time, uh, or will they be just welcome back home regardless? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Villa also played Man City on the final game of the season at the Etihad. So, you know, again, another small little side story there. But I think the the, the, fan, pa- the, the fan base is split, actually. I've been quite surprised to see the amount of hostility fired his way, actually. You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of negative um, comments aimed towards him because he's left his, you know, his boyhood club, the club he loved to go to Manchester City. So the fan base is split. I'm, I'm, I really don't know what type of reaction he's going to get at the moment. Um, I can only you know, take the sentiment off, off social media and, and that's very mixed. Some fans are saying, look, thanks ever so much for the, for the service that you, did, uh, that you gave us. Thank you for making us £100 million all in profit um, You know, for somebody who was picked up on a pitch as a five-and-a-half-year-old. Whereas other fans are saying... Why did you leave us now? You said that you loved the club last year. Um, you know why move to Manchester City and and get these so-called uh, meaningless trophies um, when you could help help Villa move forward and, and become a legend at the club. I I just feel that he was that good of a player that he had to move now, and that Villa were just a couple of years behind his development. So. Um, I back him, but in terms of the the reaction, I think it's one we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be uh, anticipating that uh, that match up um, throughout the course of the season until it happens just before Christmas. Greg, uh, we'd love to chat with you longer. No doubt, we'll chat to you throughout the course of the season. Uh, enjoy the uh, the Premiership of the Premier League as it uh, begins this weekend, and uh, mate, uh, stay well over there in the UK. Thanks, guys. Love it. Love you to speak to you both. Take, take care. Not at all, Greg Evans from The Athletic. All right, stick around. We're going to expand our discussion on the Premier League, uh, which commences on Saturday morning, our time with Derek and Dino. So stick around. All of that coming up next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, crucial this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Well, enjoyed uh, some chats with some top journalists this week. Greg Evans from The Athletic just before the break. Of course, John Stensholt from The Australian and Simon Cooper with uh, Lionel Messi. But we've got more Premier League to discuss in just a moment. Before we do, Chemist Warehouse. If you need vitamins, they're on sale right now. Half price, the Swiss vitamins range at Chemist Warehouse. To support muscle health, try Swiss Ultiboost Magnesium and get Swiss Ultiboost Zinc Plus to help support immunity. The entire Swiss vitamins range, now half price at Chemist Warehouse. I know I don't ever have an empty bathroom vanity without my Swiss men's Ultivite. I'll be getting in there for some half price Swiss Hurry, the sale ends on August 11, excludes exclusive bulk sizes. Always read the label, follow the directions for you. Supplements may only be of assistance if the dietary intake is inadequate. Sale ends August 11 and excludes bulk sizes. I don't have my harmony singers, they're concentrating. Here we go in the background. Chemist Warehouse, thank you. Great savings. 
every single day. Okay, Derek and Dino, um, we are very excited, looking forward to the Premier League season. We've had a, a nice little uh, buffet of Euros and Olympics, but uh, the Premier League's where it's at. Double-edged sword for me this time of year because, of course, the start of the season means that Arsenal are always top of the league and I enjoy that alphabetically. Uh, only if Accrington Stanley get promoted do I not, not get that pleasure. And, of course, Spurs are already in relegation trouble if you, uh, if, if you look at the table. Um, someone has worked out that there's a two-and-a-half quintillion to one chance that the league table could finish in alphabetical order. So don't put your money on that one, Rob. Maybe no. put it on... Brentford beating Arsenal. We'll get on to that in a minute. Yes. Uh, Dino, Premier League is back. Um, oh, it is. So good for it to be back with fans in the stadium. It's just going to be a really magic weekend, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think it's going to make a big difference. Um, I mean, I think some teams might find it's better when it's behind closed doors where they don't get too much stick, especially at home. But outside of that, you know, I think it's great to have all the crowds back. And, uh, you know, I think we miss them. Let's go through the various strata of the league, starting with the title contenders. Most bookies talk about a, a now well-established top four of Chelsea, uh, City, um, of course, defending champions Liverpool, champions of two years ago, and Manchester United. Um, they've all done business, Dino. Uh, Lukaku yeah. going to Chelsea, Grealish to City, Varane, Santo to United. Not so much at Liverpool. Canate, of course, went a little earlier in the window. How do you see these four shaping up? I think there's going to be a few little surprises. I think Aston Villa have improved quite a bit. Uh, especially, I know they've lost Grealish, but who they're bringing in, I think, uh, looks really good. Um, but yeah, look, it's uh, the first the first round's always the, the one of the telling. Especially, you want to get off to a really good start. That Chelsea team does look extremely powerful with uh, Lukaku. I've just gone to City just to edge it, just with their overall now of winning this league and the stability under the manager. You mentioned Aston Villa, and I think we'll put them in that next strata of what I've called the Euro contenders. And I yeah. put in this one uh, Leicester, Arsenal, Spurs, um, West Ham United, based on last yep. season's performance, Aston Villa. Um, you know, what do you think about this? Like you've, we've, we've spoken about Villa earlier in the show. I think they're looking in, in good form. Tell you what, do you think West Ham can do it again or do you think Arsenal and Spurs will have what it takes to kind of put some kind of order back in play? With regards to West Ham, I think they had a fabulous season last year. Um, my only my only doubt is most probably up front, um, you know, because <clears throat> Antonio, if, if he gets injured, um, then they're really, really like slim pickings. So I think they need to do a little bit more business in the in the front in the front three there. And I think if they do and they, they bolster that, then I, I think they can, and they don't lose anybody of, of, of any note, then I think they could still be right up there like they were last year. We haven't mentioned Leicester yet. They've, they're in magical form. And I expect that, you know, having just won the, the community shield, uh, that will do their confidence no good. But it, uh, it, uh, it might be the case, though, that it's all about who they keep. James Madison, Arsenal are circling around him at the moment. Do you think that would be a step down for Madison? Um, possibly, yeah, it could be. But, um, I mean, I like Madison. I think he brings a lot to the table. So I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, the manager would want to keep him. But who knows? I mean, it's a, it's a silly time at the moment. There's still at least two weeks plus, well, just more than two weeks uh, before the transfer deadline uh, closes. 
Yeah, I've, 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 I've identified the kind of mid-table morass, let's call it. And I think I've got uh, Everton, uh, who haven't started that well under wrapper of 4-0 lost Manchester United in pre-season and uh, some pretty underwhelming signings, I think. Um, Leeds United, I've just managed to keep their squad together. I think they'll go and they'll be fine again this season. I think if yeah. they get into that mid-table, I think that's good good work from them second season in. Southampton and Wolves, I'd probably put in that mid-table as well. Wolves will be an interesting one. They haven't really done a lot of sort of, um, you know, well-known business when it comes to transfers. They've lost their manager. I think, you know, if someone's going to plummet out of this group, possibly Wolves. But I see those four very much kind of cropping up the middle of the table. And, of course, we go to uh, the relegation side, you know. Um, there's a few teams uh, in, in this one. Newcastle haven't signed anybody so far in the, in the no. uh, although they are after Joe Willock from, from Arsenal, that would be a good signing. Um, Burnley, well, they've only signed Wayne Hennessy, your distant cousin uh, so he far. Is, yeah. so, Second cousin, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no change at Burnley, but that hasn't stopped them from surviving. And of course, um, you've got the people that were promoted. Uh, who do you think out of the, the promoted teams have got the best chance out of uh, Brentford and Norwich and Watford? Uh, I think Brentford for me. Uh, I like the manager, uh, Thomas Frank. I think he's uh, brings a lot to the table. He's done a fabulous job there. And I think they've got a really good chance. Um, I mean, Norwich, you would say, you know, because they've been there up and down, up and down. But at the same token, you know, I, I, I do fear for a little bit of uh, that. And especially with Norwich and then obviously Watford. I, I just don't think they're going to last the season. So... I think it might be Watford, Norwich going down, but then one other, but it won't, I don't think it's going to be Brentford. Um, Derek, I've got a question for you on VAR. I noticed that the Premier League referees chief, Mike Riley, said officials will cut down on soft penalties next season. He's also um, said that changes to the VAR offside could prevent 20 goals from being disallowed. And he said this all off the back of a consultation with clubs, players, managers and footballers, so footballers Supporters Association representatives to try and reach a consensus on how the game should be refereed. How do you think those consultations went, Derek? Well, there has been a... You know, VAR has had has, has teething problems, Edge, over, over the last two seasons. Uh, hasn't really been a breath between those two seasons as well to really review it. But yeah, you mentioned the offside. I think you that's also, the big one uh, that needs to change, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the, the offside, and also I believe they're addressing the handball in the penalty area as well. So there was a trend last in the last couple of seasons of attackers deliberately flicking the ball up towards the the arm and towards the hand. And uh, it really, you know, within the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Within the spirit of the game, trying to game your way a penalty like that, I don't think that's a good look for football and it's not what fans want to see. So apparently they are addressing that one and giving referees more leeway to look at it and go... You know, was the attacker trying to sort of pass or cross the ball genuinely or were they just trying to flick the ball up and, and, and they knew what they were doing? So I really hope that they address that one. As you guys know, I'm not a huge fan of VAR. The genie's out of the bottle and yes, now it is about these fine tunings and yes, the offside stuff, armpits offside is a joke and yes, penalties in those kinds of situations are a joke too. So uh, yeah, I hope it, hope it improves this season, it's for sure. A couple of games that have been played uh, in Europe, of course, the Super Cup took place this week. Chelsea beat Villarreal 6-5 in a penalty shootout, and much maligned goalkeeper uh, Kepa uh, managed to be the, the hero on this occasion for Chelsea. So another piece of silverware for uh, Thomas Tuchel 
and uh, the kind of mixed fortunes, you know, of the Scottish teams in Europe as they try and qualify for any kind of European competition uh, kind of goes on. Rangers now dumped out of the Champions League by Malmo, 10-man Malmo, must be said too. That's cost them a big wedge of money. And in fact, Rangers with with um, Celtic maybe on the bounce, um, Rangers not looking too clever, are they, Dean? No, look, it's, um, you know, it's quite funny, really, when you think about it is, you know, you, you, and just come under some scrutiny already, and and I, and I, and I know from you know I've known Ange for a quite a long time. He's not really going to be bothered what anybody thinks. It's, it's not really what he thinks. But then on the back of that, then you've got you know like Rangers like unbeaten all last year, and all of a sudden they've lost three on the bounce, and the, and they're out of the, um, the Champions League. And you're thinking, well, hold on, this this could this could be a really really interesting. Um, uh, Celtic Rangers. I reckon it could go really to the wire for the for that for the you know the actual Premier League up there. So I think it's I think it's going to be quite healthy and um, and I think especially for Australians we've got a bit of skin in the game. Let's move on to the Championship, Dino. Um, Derby, of course, squeaking through in their most recent game on penalties, and you might want to uh, com- uh, comment on absolute, that quickly. <laughs> well, absolutely flying Derby, doing really well. Uh, <laughs> I had, uh, I had John Beckett on the phone and given it plenty before they lost at Coventry. And I said, well, hold on. You know, you're giving it the big licks. And I'm going, well, Derby have started with a point and then through into the, the next round of the Cup. So, actually, they're actually flying. Early days in the uh, in the Championship, of course. Hull, Hull are top on goal difference after thrashing Preston North End. Michael will be pleased to hear that Birmingham City... Uh, beat Sheffield United in that they opening did. game, and that that was a good uh, good win for good win for the Blues. Coming up, Derby are going to Peterborough uh, this uh, this weekend, and uh, interesting to see how how they go. Uh, Dino, we've got to wrap we've got to wrap this up. Just some final lines from uh, from Europe. Um, Jose Mourinho has uh, has blown up at Roma already. The season hasn't even started yet. It only takes at least a season before this happens. But he was sent, <laughs> sent off in a friendly against Real Betis with his team already down to eight men. Um, so the implosion and the, and the uh, is already happening at Roma. Will he, will he make it to the start of the season is the big question. All right, well done, Derek. Well done, Dino. Stick around. Stoppage time after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Okay, this is stoppage time. The fourth official has given us just seven minutes to bring this ship home. And before we get into our special topic of football shirts for the Premier League, I want to talk to you about our friends at Storage King because only today in breaking news they have been awarded Canstar Blues leading, and I'm telling you leading, across Australia award for most satisfied customers. Storage King was rated five stars across multiple categories including value for money, safety and security, quality of storage, accessibility, the convenience of their locations, and overall customer satisfaction. We've been telling you that for ages. Storage King are the best in the business. You they make you happy, your castle. I know they make you happy. It's like a jingle. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. So get to Storage King and find out what it's all about if you haven't been there. Geez, Lionel Messi needs one of those Storage King things, I'll tell you what. For his 35 trophies. For his barn doors and his correct. Champions League trophies. Mom. The kings of storage moving in more. Okay, we will wrap it Do up there. Do you get him a deal? For sure. I think so. Props the man. Okay. Absolutely.
Well, I'll call Jorge first. He's the man I've got to negotiate with. That's uh-huh. what Simon Cooper said. Salio. Jorge of Messi. All right. Okay, so Edge picked this um, topic. I love uh, Premier League strips, especially in the first round, because mm. we get to see them all. Mm. And they normally have uh, quite some unique uh, mm. launches, Rob, but over to you to yeah. steer the ship. Well, when you, you nominated this, I thought, okay, he usually has a reason. He doesn't always explain what his reason is, but there must be some motivation behind this. And, yeah, we all love football shirts. So I did a bit of digging, and I found an article on footyheadlines.com which uh, if you're interested in this, find it because it ranks all the jumpers. And, and they start off by saying, first off, the 2021-22 Premier League home kits offer a lot of variety from classy designs to striking jerseys with exceptional designs. The worst 2021-22 Premier League kits, however, fail because of trying to implement too many design elements or even worse, atrocious sponsor logos that completely destroy the football shirts. Which I think when you... Look at it that way. That is really what it's all about. They try to get too busy. So, Edge, you've had a look at them all. Um, you, you start this off. What, what, what ones are your favourites? Well, I was going to start with... I'll go 3-2-1. I know we, we, we sort of got 35 seconds each, something mm-hmm. like that. But three, for me, is Watford, the Bumblebee horizontal black and yellow hoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. It's a deviation from the traditional Hornet strip, but I think mm-hmm. it's going uh, to engender a bit of uh, action for Watford. I actually quite like that. Uh, not a lot of red. They normally have a bit of red in their strip. Mm-hmm. but it's just the black and gold horizontal strips. Manchester United, uh, simple is better. Um, I thought it looked absolutely fantastic. And when you throw in their socks, mm. their socks are very unique this year. It looks like the Red Devils uh, are back in town and uh, mm. I, I very much like that. For me, though, Crystal Palace, it's just one of those colour schemes that, that absolutely... Uh, do it for me. I, I love the Crystal Palace strip. And it's the fact that this is a bit of the paying homage to the old Thunderbird style mm. sash that they've got. They just mm. tilted their vertical stripes mm. Mm. and uh, just to a 30 degree angle. And the Crystal it Palace does 2021 very, very good. Home shirt has an interesting base concept of diagonal stripes, but the use of three different shades of blue is a bit too much. No, I like okay. it. I think it's very, very good. So Crystal right. Palace, number one for me. Manchester United, number two. And number three, Watford. Okay, Dana. Yeah, look, I um, I had a good li- good little look, and I'm really impressed with Brighton and Hove Albion's away kit. Mm. Oh, he's going for the away kit. I've gone for the away kit. It's, it's like an aqua, and it's got really great patterns on it, and it looks really, really sharp. So aqua. you might have to have a little have a little look at that one. Mm. Um, and then I'm, I'm I'm still in that same phase as well. I, I think Palace is sporting uh, um, a yellow. Uh, kit uh, for their uh, for their uh, away games as well, uh, and it's a bit like it's a return to yellow, a real bright yellow. And mm. and what was my last one? I think I was I was caught between. Um, let me just the rock and a hard place. You can't pick Derby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well, it's not Derby because they're, <laughs> they're not in there, are they? No. Uh, let me. I'm, I'm nearly there. You better uh, be there, Dino, because we're just. I'm, Tom's getting away. Tom's from evaporating, there. Dino. Okay, look. I'm Man gonna... United. Man, Man United's away strip. Man it's United's gone back to that. Yeah, another aqua looking uh, mm-hmm. with lots of yes. little red, little bits. Dan has gone for the away shirt. So you know the aqua man. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, all right, boys. Uh, Derek, what about you? That Man United away kit looks like a QR code, Dino. It's truly, it's truly yeah, horrible. I've, I've actually, this is great radio, by the way, just describing mm. kits on radio. I think yeah, this, is, this is working well as a form. <laughs> um, I'm glad I you picked, like it, Derek. 
I've picked three third kits, and and, and, and I'm a bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> I, I'm a bit tongue in cheek with mine. Number one is the Man City third kit. They haven't even bothered putting the badge on this one. I think they just ran out of money with the Grealish deal. So it, it essentially looks like the sort of thing your dad wears on holiday. Essentially, just blue Man City written across the front. Um, the second one is the Chelsea. Uh, sorry, the uh, Everton uh, away kit. Um, third third kit. kit is white. And what I think what happened was when it was going around to the printers, someone dropped it, and then a van ran over it, um, and and then they just decided to print this tire tread up the middle. So I'm really liking that. But number one has got to go to the Tottenham Hotspur third kit, which I think is I think it, I think it's called epileptic vomit. I think is the what they're going for here. It's kind of purple and a little bit of green, and it's got sort of nebulous splotches all over it. Mm. It basically looks like, you know, when they were printing it, it just went really wrong. <laughs> it got kind of chewed up in the machinery. And then, but again, they've just kind of, they just had to go with it. So hopefully with the cane money, they'll be able to get a better third oh, kit. Well, yeah. I think your, your analysis and the humour of it was better than any of the shirts that you've just described. Well done, Derek. And I think you've stolen one of Willem's... Um, yeah, so I was going to say the Tottenham away kit is my favourite one, Derek. It reminds me of the primary school days when you'd have the paper and a bit of water and ink on it and you'd drop marbles on it from a great height and watch it go all over the place. Uh, I actually quite like that one. And uh, the other ones I like from a more traditional sense, Leicester and Aston Villa, their home kits, not too much deviation from the norm, but just... Subtle, classy variations, Rob. Yeah, yeah, look, all right. Well, you, well, Roberto? Well, this is great radio and uh, and, a, and a concept that we will uh, hopefully forget by the time the next season starts. But, uh, no, look, I think it's a bit of fun because it's, uh, it brings out the football Paint me the story, things. Rob. Paint well, me, paint you tell the story. The story. Is, well, there's very little time but because, uh, you know, I spent so much time preparing for the show that I didn't have enough time to look at it. But I, I did like what the Footy Headlines uh, website said about uh, about the Watford one of the ones you chose and Newcastle that, to be honest, two originally decent. You did choose Watford. Watford. No, but not Newcastle. Two originally decent football kits were ruined by atrocious sponsor logos, and everyone in this show knows I'm a commercial kind of guy. But uh, yeah, I hate it when uh, when the sponsorship oh, sacrilege, tries to own sacrilege. and take over the shirts. So, so I'm just going to name two that I, I didn't like at all. And uh, well, Rob, Rob, yeah. can I just jump in just to make you just get your hat trick and get your third one in? Yeah, yeah. the Norwich away kit. Yeah. Absolutely top draw. Oh, okay, all right. Well, you can have that one in. I was going to canary. Uh, the canaries. We okay. love the canaries. It's, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. It's aqua and it's like black. Right. He likes aqua. I'm going to buy one. I do. Okay, well done, Dino. Yeah, look, I tell you what, he looks like you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dino. Thanks, mate. See Great you, work. Bud. See you, buddy. See you, Derek. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that, James. Thank you. Well Thank you. And Michael. Thank you, Rob. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a great show. We've had a lot of fun, and we hope you do join us next week for our 300th episode of Box to Box, when we'll go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.